National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies of the 2022 NL Champ. From WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm your host, John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter or X at John Stolness coming up. We're going to talk about the Phil's weekend in St. Louis. And since we are recording this just after uh, the Phillies first game against the Braves in their big series down in Atlanta, a fun game to watch here on Monday night. We're going to talk about that game as well and really dive into the National League wildcard picture because it is indeed wild. Well, so joining me to do that, my good buddies, Justin Clue and Liz Rocher, Justin from Baseball Prospectus. And then, of course, the dirty inning and continued success. No, not continued success. Absolutely hammered on the Hit and Season Patreon. Follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. I always do that, man. I always do that when I'm coming to you, and I, I want to say the podcast for whatever reason. Yeah, I forgot. Somebody recently told me that you keep saying the incorrect show name, and I was like, yeah. oh, I didn't even notice. So that's how— uh... <laughs> Well, I used to do it. I don't I do not do it—that's the first time I've done it in a while, but it was a, it was a bad habit I'd gotten into. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you guys this real quick. The latest edition of Baseball America was ranking— players across the league uh for their tools and just explaining you know they had a whole feature on like what uh, you know how you measure a tool what the what the scores are that you want to see and you know maybe there isn't a guy with the with like an 80 grade slider in baseball which they said there isn't but they're grading players across the league and and the phillies popped up a couple times i wanted to see if you guys agree (laughs) with this do you think trey turner is the second best base runner in the national league behind corbin carroll wow i mean I guess it's possible. I can't think of, I mean, if you're, well, I mean, he's, he's like 28 for 28 in stolen bases. So I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I disagree with that. Yeah. I just, uh, it was kind of surprising. They said he was the third fastest base runner behind Carroll and Ellie De La Cruz, that mm-hmm. JT Real Muto is the best, third best defensive catcher in the National League. Uh, they said Zach Wheeler had the second best fastball behind Spencer Strider. And wow. Aaron Nola has the third best control of any pitcher. Ah. Well, the then now, <laughs> now it's lost all credibility. <laughs> that was funny. I mean, I was trying to look. You know, he does have a, he, you know, pretty not you know, low. I, would, I want to say low average uh, walk rate. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't dig into this too much. I just saw that and was like, what? <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I will say this. We. With regards to pitchers, there's a difference between control and command. So with control, that means you don't walk guys. And and Aaron Nola, like you just mentioned, doesn't really walk guys. Now, command, on the other hand, being able to put the ball where you want on the corners, I don't. I would have said before this year, yes, Aaron Nola is probably a top five guy in terms of command, not leaving pitches over the middle of the plate. Clearly, that's not been the story here in 2023. Plus, he's the kind of pitcher who can throw five or six innings with good command and control, and then suddenly the sixth inning comes along, and he doesn't have either of those anymore. No. And that's where his problems come from. So that's, yeah, it, it probably does make sense. The people at Baseball America certainly know a little bit about baseball. A little bit. A little bit. Liz Rocher also knows a little bit about baseball, and you follow her on Twitter <laughs> at Yahoo Sports. I'm um, not at Liz. <laughs> a little bit at Liz Rocher. Liz, um, so um, how are you doing? Uh, I certainly enjoyed watching the Phillies uh, tonight, Monday night. I really enjoyed that game. That was delightful from pretty much start to finish. Yeah, it was. It was certainly a, 
a much needed and a surprising win uh, by the Phillies because I think when we last spoke, we were just kind of resigned to uh, probably getting swept in Atlanta. So you got to really make hay against the Cardinals over the weekend. And the Phillies did a good job in St. Louis winning two out of three, um, putting themselves in a, in a pretty good position thanks to the Arizona Diamondbacks sweeping the Cubs. And so they're still, they were still in a really good spot for that top wild card spot. And it improved after winning 7-1, to one, hitting five home runs uh, in the game against uh, the Atlanta Braves here in the series opener. The Braves in the midst of a kind of a rough, their first real rough patch of the season. They got swept in three games by the Marlins at Mar- Marlins scored like 31 runs on him in three games. And then the Phillies come out here uh, on this Monday night and hit five home runs, including a 483-foot blast that left Truist Park by Kyle Schwarber. It was five oh. feet short of the home run that he hit in San Diego in the playoffs last year. I mean, just... Justin, I want to talk about, and we're going to talk more about Schwarber and and kind of his place among Philly's sluggers lore here. But um, all in all, this was a a great way to start this series, which you know we had kind of circled on our calendar as a potential problem. Um, but uh, they got off to good. They're not going to get swept, and that's really kind of all I wanted coming into this series. Justin is just <laughs> don't get swept. Kind of circled it on our calendar as something that might be difficult. John is being coy. Uh, in the last <laughs> episode bit. of Hidden Season, John Stolnes and I pretty much locked it in that this was mm-hmm. a series sweep and you got to just accept it now <laughs> and hope that they're able to win the games before and after it. Uh, so, yeah, just to, just just so we don't get any letters about that. Yeah, I'm we, ha- we, we can acknowledge that that we had just decided this was three losses. Ignore it. Move on. There's more games after it. The Phillies can make make some more ground up after that. Uh, so, yeah. I would say this was the most unheard of possible outcome for you and I tonight to see them play a pretty stress-free game in which the home runs came back, in which they were you know, setting milestones as far as how far those home runs were going. They got a really solid start. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, from Zach Wheeler. But it is really, um, you know, it's always really so strange when you play your worst baseball after locking up the division. That that's yeah, you know, what a what a huge bummer, what a huge crater for Braves fans to have to fall into at this point. Uh, and I think that's <laughs> you know they're not, not going to the, shut up about it. That's not the only reason no. the Marlins swept the Braves or that the Phillies beat them tonight uh, and gave me you know some encouragement about how the rest of this series may go. Though the other two games aren't going to have Zach Wheeler on the mound. Um, but that being said. Uh, I think you can point to the fact that the Braves are probably on cruise control for the next week, which they are allowed to do. And I believe they were already saying tomorrow they're going to be sitting a couple of starters. And, you know, the the war's been won. You know, I I get it. I get it. Like, it's (laughs) we're all just kind of walking, walking home at this point. The Braves are, at least, because, uh, you know, they're they they did their job. They won. You know, there's more to do. And I'm sure, you know, they would never say, oh, we're turning. we're, We're shifting gears a little bit. But obviously, when a team clinches the division, they should be a little softer to play. Uh, but then again, if the Phillies had lost, the you know, Braves fans would just be saying, you know, you lost to our backup team. You lost to our blah, 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 blah. So, you know, there's really not a, a right move to make. It was just good to see the Phillies beat this team decidedly after such a miserable series up in Philadelphia. I love that there's the chance that they could even take the series. I love that the Braves are as exposed as they've been all season because, like I said, I think they're they're not really, you know, going 100% right now. Uh, I think that's just that's good news for the Phillies for where they are. They're in a different place from the Braves and, you know, this is this is uh, this is going to benefit them, I feel. 
Yeah, Liz, we didn't want them to win the division at Citizens Bank Park, but now that they have put the division title kind of in their back pockets, what it's reminding me of is the last couple weeks of the 2011 Philly season. Remember they had that eight-game losing streak heading into the playoffs, and they had to kind of rally the final weekend in Atlanta. It's like the first time they lost more than three in a row, I think, is after that. (laughs) Right. And And it it was was just right before – it started like right before they clinched it. Like they had a losing streak that prevented them from clinching from a little bit because they they were already on cruise control, really. Yeah. <laughs> They'd they already such done a huge everything lead. that they had to do. Right. And the Braves are still fighting for, for that number one seed uh, in the in the playoffs in the National League postseason. They have a four-game lead over the Dodgers for that. The Dodgers are, are playing as we speak, but, uh, you know, it's going to be at least either three and a half or, or four and a half. And they, I'm sure they want to lock that down. There, there's, there's no doubt they want to do that, but they also know that they can just kind of start to get their rotation right get their guys who need some rest, get their guys some rest. And yeah, I I would imagine that some of the edge is off. And it was clearly that way in 2011 with the Phillies. And with the Phillies, it may have affected them going into the playoffs. And that's kind of what you're hoping for is that, you know, you lose a little bit of that edge by clinching so early. I'll put it this way. If you are a fan of a team, you would rather have the problem of clinching early and worried about worrying about your team revving it back up for the playoffs rather than having to fight tooth and nail to get that like third wild card playoff spot or something like that. But uh, I think what we've seen, I, I would. I, I don't disagree. I mean, considering the last time the Phillies were in the playoffs in 2011 lost in the first round. I mean, I the the Braves should take as much time and as and do as whatever they need to do. The Phillies are willing to let them <laughs> do whatever they need to do to get themselves right for the playoff series. Really, because there's one thing I do not I do not want for this Phillies team is for them to have any opportunity to think too hard. If they well, start and, and, thinking yeah. too hard. Things get complicated and bad. And if they had time, like the Braves do, to rest starters, to get everything right for the playoffs, to, you know, to really set things up the way that they want, to have time to think during games when they're not, when the starters are being rested. I don't want that for the Phillies. They're not a team that benefits from more thinking time. But I think you would you would also though prefer not to play the wild card series though you'd rather skip that series oh, yeah, and go right to the course. divisional round. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Okay. If we're talking like in general, yes. But if I had to make a choice for this Phillies team, I kind of would want them to play the wild card team and risk it. I think Liz is also kind of tapping into that concept that the best team, the really top seed. Really seems to find a way to get eliminated in the. Well, that's season. true. Yeah. I think we were Exa- just that's talking exactly about what this. I'm saying on another program and that was that like since 2009 when the Yankees were the top seed and they won it all I think only two other teams since then have been the number one best record and gone on to win the World Series so the prevailing majority of the time you kind of don't want to be that team except for all the obvious advantages of having you know a really really good team on paper Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true. I mean, we look back in, in history with, the, you know, just last year, the Phillies took down, you know, the, were the Braves the number one team last year? I, I trying to remember if they were, if they were the number one team or, yeah, I think they were because it was, 
I, I don't know. Did the Dodgers were the, I can't remember if the Dodgers were the top team of the Braves last year. I mean, but either it's, way, it's it one or matter. the other. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It, it really doesn't matter. None, none of those teams managed to to make it all that far. That being said, I would rather be in the Braves position than the Phillies position personally. I understand what you're saying, Liz. I get it, and I think you're right. Sometimes with with certain teams, and I think maybe this team it apply it would apply to them too. That you don't want to give them too much time. The Phillies seem to be in kind of a nice little groove here. Like if you're not going to get one of those top two seeds. They're in a comfortable position for that number one wild card, right? It would take them. They'd really have to kind of collapse here over the last couple of weeks to lose the number one wild card. And so, but they, but they don't have it yet. They still have to fight for it. They, every game is important. So they have to maintain that edge. But at the end of the day, they're in a, they're not fighting for their playoff lives. Like they're going to make the playoffs. I think their odds are in over 99% now, according to fan graphs. So, I mean, they're, they're going to the playoffs, but it's the one seed to go. They still have something to play for to get that to get that home series in in the wild card round, and they right now have a little bit more to play for than the Atlanta Braves. And I don't know if that's what we saw in Atlanta on Monday night as the Phillies uh, beat the Braves seven to one. But um, you mentioned Justin Zach Wheeler absolutely shoved in this game, and we'll see if. The Phillies are able to slow this Braves offense down in any other non-Zach Wheeler pitched game here on Tuesday and Wednesday. But um, it's just, it's look at the bats and what they did in this game. Five home runs. Um, the, the most surprising home run, Johan Rojas. Hitting a hitting a two run home run after Ozzy Albies gave the the Braves a lead in the in the bottom of the first inning with a with a solo shot, Rojas surprising everyone with his first home run of the season off of an actual pitcher, not a position player who was uh, tossing up sixty mile an hour lob pitches and uh, went the opposite way with it. Man, I love this kid. Man, Johan Rojas has to has to play every day. I'm I'm I don't care who the pitcher is. With, with what he gives you in center field, he's given you enough offensively to keep his bat there in the number nine hole. I, I love this kid. I think he's I think he's so much fun, and he's starting to really be an impact player here in the major leagues. So that was a big hit. Um, and then, of course, there was the there was the Kyle Schwarber 483-foot two-run home run uh, in this game. And I don't know. It was... They were asking, like, what was more... What, what was the more impressive shot? I mean, I don't think anything's ever going to top that San Diego home run, right? No, I mean not distance no. wise. If it does, yeah. I mean, good lord! I want to see <laughs> it. Like, we've opened up a new just branch of humanity at that point. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love that Ryan Howard was there because he uh, hit the longest yes. home run in Citizens Bank Park history, and I got to scramble back and and just kind of remind myself of like who has those records. And he hit one over five hundred feet. So Schwarber hasn't quite gotten to Ryan. How Howard is that possible? Yet. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> seem like anyone should be able to hit a ball farther or harder than Kyle Schwarber did. In, no. in in San Diego or tonight, but right, you're telling me Ryan Howard did, and that's just crazy to me. Absolutely, and yeah, that's 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 why I think you know he was there. That was just feeding off the energy. I mean, can you imagine if they'd gotten like uh, uh, Greg Luzinski in there too? What they'd been able to accomplish? <laughs> I mean, the Phillies need to consider they need to get more of these guys in the same place at the same time. Uh, as far as Rojas goes. I mean, I don't, I don't mind Brandon Marsh playing in the corners. I mean, maybe you lose something out there because he doesn't have a lot of experience playing outside of center, but he's shown uh, an aptitude for change, uh, certainly, since he's come to Philadelphia. And the coverage in center you get from Rojas and the natural center fielding you get from Rojas is just so appealing. Uh, he's got to play a part in almost every important game down the stretch, uh, being able to like play a role the Phillies have largely been missing for the past few years 
uh, at least in the later innings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He's got to be – if he's not starting every day, I would love to see him every day anyway. Uh, it's, it's, it's really mm-hmm. – it is – he is exactly the kind of guy that impacts a, a, a team that's ready to make a deep playoff run, the kind of guy you can just reach for from the minors and comes up and does his job. And, I mean, he, he, you're right. He's solidified himself as a major leaguer this season. Well, and this is exactly the type of player that they need that like, just like you said, Justin, that, you know, that comes up at the right time to give the Phillies what they need. This feels like a a team, a more complete team than it's felt like all year because Bryce Harper is at first base, which is what they've wanted. They've got Marsh out in left. Uh, They've got Rojas in center. You know, Schwarber is DHing like that's it's exactly what they've been looking to do since the you know since uh the trade deadline they actually finally have it together and it's working really well you, you know it's funny to think about is that and a lot of this who you start in the outfield is dependent on Bryce Harper being at first base and Kyle Schwarber being DH and they're still trying to give Harper some some days off here and there uh at DH because they don't want to they want to push him too hard but I would imagine in the playoffs that Harper is gonna unless he's hurting is probably gonna play first base every day and remember we haven't talked for a second about Bryce Harper at first base since it took over. Like, he's been playing the position like he's been doing it for 10 years. Like, we're not even talking about it. We're not We're not talking about, like, oh, Harper made another error. It's, it's kind of rough over there, but you got to keep him there so we can get short. Like, it's just been like, yeah, he's first baseman now. <laughs> it might not be for forever, but for this year, he's just the first baseman, and he's, and he's just fine. Like, he doesn't it, – it's it's astonishing to me that it, it's it's this was such a story for so long, and then he started doing it, and it was like, okay, yeah, he's he's like he's been doing it for 10 years. No big yeah. deal. Remember when the Phillies needed a closer and Brett Myers wasn't going to start anymore, and they managed to find a role for him that was very key and important to them, you know, making the postseason? And then the next year he was back to his regular job. So like that, there is precedent for a situation like this. And like you said, I mean, is it fair to say at this point that Harper playing first allows the lineup to be arranged in its ideal form? Yes, 100%. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's why I, yeah. I mean, how can you argue with him playing first base every game in the postseason? Martian Rojas can be in the outfield, Castellanos and Wright, Schwarber DHing and then Harper at first. But yeah, I, I, like that's that that's tough to argue with. I know Thompson loves to fiddle. He loves his platoons. He's been employing them all year, and maybe even shaking up that system would be shaking up the system the guys are used to, and that's the last thing you want to do heading into the postseason. But I don't know. That kind of feels like a stretch when you're looking at what these guys have been able to do with these rearrangements, uh, especially what we were talking about: Rojas and Marsh in the outfield. It's They're been a flexible. revelation. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I think yeah. that's right. They are flexible, and it's been it's been the defense that he gives you. This team's outfield defense the last few years has been truly horrific. And right now, Rojas is what we thought Roman Quinn was going to give us, you know, and then and Ben Revere was going to give us. And it's still very early in in Rojas's career. We don't know what kind of major league player he's ultimately going to be. But defensively, this, he has a skill that's not going to to deteriorate. Like that will always be a valuable skill. The fact that he's Kevin Kiermeyer out there in center field, like prime. Kevin Kiermeyer out there in center. It's just, it is a, it is a weapon. It's an absolute weapon in run prevention to have him out there in center field. And if he gives you anything at the plate, which he did here in the game on Monday night to put the Phillies on top two to one and really kind of change the tone of the game. Uh, it's a, it's, it's truly just something, something, ble- it's a blessing that you, that you get that. Um, I don't want to, I want to double back on Kyle Schwarber for a second because Kyle Schwarber, how many home runs does this guy have on the year now? I'm just, it's, 
hang on, I gotta look this up. Because in his he's doing something in his first two years in a Phillies uniform that we've we've never seen anyone do. He surpassed Jim Tomey for most home runs in a Phillies player's first two years with the team. Uh, he now has, uh, where's the number, 40, 45 home runs on the season. Um, where does he rank among all-time Phillies sluggers at this point? Now, I mean, I, I realize career number-wise, it's it's not going to be close to Howard or Schmidt or Luzinski or anything, but if you're talking about just like a, like just having a pure slugger in your lineup, I, he's he's got to be. I'm trying to think. Like he's he's probably top five, right? Like he's in the conversation, and you can argue. I would think. Can you argue now that Kyle Schwarber has had a better Phillies career than than Jim Tomey at this point in terms of productivity? It seems like Schwar- Schwarber's productivity. Don't look at the batting average, but everything else. I don't know, man. It's it's a it's but an you interesting. You have to. <laughs> you have to look at it. I, I, I choose not to. I choose but, not to. But, you can't make me. You, but yes, I can't because you're asking a question about whether or not he's had a better career than Jim Tomey with the Phillies. Not not and career I, in a, with the Phillies, yeah. Yeah, with the Phillies, career with the Phillies, and I I don't know if you could do that yet. I don't know. He spent four years Tell- total in Philly, though it was just one later in his career that the other three came earlier. I think we need a little bit more time with Kyle. Not a lot. I mean, he's already got the two forty home run seasons, and he's going to be in the postseason twice as many times as Jim Tomey yeah, with the Phillies. And, well, uh, and Tomey only played half fault. of the third season. I'm not, no one's, I'm not blaming Tomey. It's more just like these things. He, he His impact was able to achieve a greater goal, I suppose. Um, it, it went to it went to feed into a cause that lasted a little longer. I'm just saying, like, as far as, as far as, like, the eventfulness of a brief time there with the team, Schwarber is well on his way to eclipsing Tomey. Just looking at the numbers, just evaluating all the points you just made. I mean, Jim Tomey is Jim Tomey, so you know you're going to get screamed at if you have anything close to this argument. I know we're specifying it in all the right ways, uh, but people are irrational uh, and don't want to listen. But I think that you know, seeing seeing the kind of performance we've seen from Schwarber two years in a row now, and th- with the context of it like his home run totals never getting this high before he came to Philadelphia that he's able to hit the ball so far. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, he's got that bias cause he's here now and we're watching him do this now. Uh, but he has the potential to be a part of like some very good Phillies playoff teams and you can't get yeah, batting gap, batting average being what it is. I don't think you can argue that he doesn't have a huge impact on this team, not just on the field, but culturally. So, yeah, I think I think the arguments there. But with Liz, I think I need, you know, one one more season. And I feel like you can you can really you can really get this one out there. Completely. I agree. 89 like one seasons. more season would give it to me. But I, I don't know if after two seasons that I'm completely with you. Like, I'm not disagreeing with any of the points that you've made, but I'm just not quite there yet to say, yeah, he's had a better career and, you know, with the Phillies and Jim Tomey, universally beloved figure. I'll just say this. If you're looking at just in terms of their, their Phillies career, Jim Tomey had two star seasons with the Phillies. It 47 home runs in 2003, led the National League, had a 958 OPS, and then in 2004 hit 42 home runs. So he hit uh, 89 home runs in his first two seasons with with the Phillies. He was uh, finished fourth in the MVP voting in in 2003. Kyle Schwarber has now hit uh, 91 home runs in his first two seasons with the Phillies. Um, 
And if you look at Jim Tomey, his third season with the Phillies was 2005 when he got hurt early in the season. He had seven home runs that season for the Phillies. And that was the year, of course, Ryan Howard was called up and took Jim Tomey's job. Jim Tomey was then traded away. Um, he, he, he only played 59 games in 2005. So Jim Tomey's Phillies career, in a sense, was two seasons long. And 2003 and 2004. So in in for in my mind, I think Kyle Schwarber has passed Jim Tomey in terms of Phillies Philly sluggers, and I, I, it's still going. I mean, he's gonna. There's a good chance Kyle Schwarber gets to 50 home runs this year, which is crazy. And you know, nobody's gonna catch Ryan Howard's 58. I don't know that that number's ever gonna be broken again. Um, but uh, I think, and it's. You know, I think Jim Tomey and Kyle Schwarber are actually really kind of similar personalities, people, oh, yeah. you know, f figures yeah. in the clubhouse, like both team leaders, you know, both both winning players. Um, it's uh, it's unfortunate Tomey wasn't able to win in Philadelphia, but um, Jim, uh, Kyle Schwarber is obviously on a much better team than, than Jim Tomey ever had there. So just, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I think, you know, Schwarber is quickly moving up the, the ranks of all-time great Philly sluggers. He's in the conversation. I mean, Howard, Schmidt, Luzinski, I think are, are in, you know, the top three in whatever order. But after that, I think, I think you could have Schwarber in that conversation is uh, number four over Jim Tomey. Certainly on Listeners pace to be yell top at us five. about this. Absolutely. The wild thing about <laughs> Tomey as well is that he hit so many home runs in those first two years with the Phillies that he, he played two years and change here starting in 2003. And then he hit his 100th home run just as a Philly in June 2012 when he came back and he was 41 <laughs> years old 10 years yep. later. He had five more home runs for him and that was enough. That was 101 home runs with the Phillies. <laughs> Man, in what like a career. Two years and change. That's crazy. Yeah, that is that is crazy. I mean, that's he got one-fifth of the way to 500 career home runs in parts of four seasons with the Phillies. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. Um, so yeah, great game by the Phillies uh, against the Braves uh, on Monday night. Hopefully they can keep it rolling. They also got solo home runs from Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, and Nick Castellanos. Really good to see Real Muto and Castellanos hit the ball out. Castellanos, ever since getting moved down to the bottom of the order, has figured out whatever was going on with him uh, and has, has really rebounded and he's back to hitting well again. So he's just been very up and down this year here in the second half, very consistent in the first half, very up and down in the second half, but Castellanos starting to ascend again, uh, having been moved down in the lineup a little bit. Maybe they need to put Real Muto at eight. It seems to be put a struggling Phillies hitter at the number eight spot in the lineup and watch him explode. We did it with Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos. JT, it's your turn, man. Why don't you... <laughs> Let Please. him go down and hit eight, and suddenly he'll hit 500. Uh, maybe they need, they need to do that when they uh, hit the homestand uh, this coming weekend. Um, all right, so let's also talk about the weekend in St. Louis. And the Phillies had a chance to sweep. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do it on Sunday. Kind of lost a little bit of a frustrating game there. But all in all, still a very good series against the Cardinals. They did what they had to do, winning two out of three. Um, some interesting numbers uh, from this series. The It was only the... Uh, Actually, this was the best the Phillies had ever done in a se in a season against the Cardinals. Five and one, eight thirty three winning percentage, uh, better than two thousand nine when they went four and one against the Cardinals. Um, they used to play a lot of games against each other back when the Cardinals were in the National League East. Division rivals. Yeah, big division rivalry. In nineteen eighty three, the Phillies went fourteen and four against uh, against the Cardinals, but uh, they outscored the Cardinals by twenty four runs 
in the six games that they played uh, this season. So the Phillies really dominated St. Louis, picking up where they left off from last year in the playoffs. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about some things to like from this series. Um, Ranger Suarez, we talk about Zach Wheeler. Ranger Suarez trying to insert himself into the conversation to be the Game 2 starter. He probably, outside of Zach Wheeler, is throwing the best out of anyone else in the starting rotation. If you wanted to make the Christopher Sanchez argument, I'm here for it because he pitched really well, or pitched pretty well against the Braves his last time out. Uh, We'll see him again on Tuesday night, piggybacking with uh, Michael Lorenzen. But Ranger Suarez gave up just three earned runs. uh, Pardon me, gave up uh, one run uh, in six innings of work, four hits. Don't love the four walks in six innings, but five strikeouts, one run allowed. He got out of some trouble there. He's given up three earned runs or less in his last six starts. That's what you need from Ranger Suarez. And for me right now, Elizabeth, I think he's my game two starter. I don't know if Rob Thompson would go in that direction, but he probably starts game two for me right now. I think in an ideal world, he should be the game two starter. But in the in the real world, uh, where Rob Thompson is a player's manager and I think gives a lot of uh, deference to things like seniority over uh, seniority and salary over things like who's throwing the best, which doesn't sound very complimentary of Thompson, but that's it's not quite how I mean it. You know, I think if if Nola was absolutely awful, not saying he's been doing, uh, not saying he's been better than that, but. If he was yes, like, we're familiar with his work. Yes, not, if he was like really <laughs> super duper bad, I think it would be easier for Thompson to say it. But he's been doing just well enough occasionally that it gives that it gives him cover to continue to say that. So I mean, I think Suarez uh, has earned, if not that, he's earned something. And we'll see if Thompson is willing to give it to him because I think that is one of the areas where. I think is is Thompson's biggest weakness as a manager is these types of things and looking at what's best for the team um, as opposed to what's necessarily best for or what sort of plays into the right narrative as far as like seniority in, in the clubhouse and whatnot. I'm kind of looking at this from the other angle. Uh, I think Ranger has his flaws, and he's um, technically still working his way back, I feel, from from missing time. Um, but I'm looking at it from less, less about can Ranger do it to I don't think Nola can. Uh, he's, he's what you got, and like Liz is saying, I think Thompson sticks with his guy. I think he's of the mind that, you know, if, if they're – if, if there's like Jenga bricks coming out of the Aranola Tower all season long, he doesn't want to pull the one out where it's like, I've lost so yeah. much faith in you, I'm not starting you in the playoffs. He thinks like that's going to that's gonna wreck everything. That will everything. break him. Yeah, so I think you're not going to see that. But when you read about what the mental and physical toll of is pitching in the postseason, when you, when you, th- you talk about the differences between that and making one of your regular starts in the regular season, uh, they talk about your head pounding and your muscles feeling like they're welded together and maybe you're pitching on short rest so it feels like you just worked out and now you're coming back sore the next day to work out again and you're probably going to do more harm than good. Skill-wise, we know there's always a chance Air, capital A Aaron Nola shows up, but even if he does, he's going to allow a base runner and scream into his glove until they come and get him. There's nobody <laughs> I expect to implode more 
than Aaron Nola. I'm saying this very calmly because that's that's the the zen I've reached about this. Where yeah, just, you have uh, to reach a zen with him now. Yeah, but even Taiwan Walker recovered from his messy start to his last appearance. I, so, like, is that game two of a playoff series really worth taking the chance on Nola? The chance that, what, he's going to go six innings at the most cleanly without running into the trouble you know is always waiting for him? Maybe. Like, if you're starting on the road and you manage to win game one, Maybe it's worth starting Aaron Nola in game two on a short leash. You've already done what you needed to do on the road. You won one of those first two games. So maybe that's when you dump Aaron Nola. Into yeah, and that's in a five-game series, obviously, not yeah. in a wild-card best not of three. Not in a wild-card. Exactly. No. That is, yeah. So I, I, was already, I wouldn't but, even... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if the goal is to start your best pitchers from least to most rattleable, then no, Nola can't be near the top of the list, even with his little non-zero chance of throwing dominantly. Yeah, and I think with with Rob Thompson talking about Aaron Nola as his game two starter, I don't know that Rob Thompson, I mean, he kind of left the door open, you know, as he kind of caged it as like, you know, right now or kind of a thing or the way, way it's playing out right now, I see Nola as my game two starter. He's not declaring it by any stretch of the imagination. And he's going to, I do agree with you, Liz. I think he wants it to be Nola. I, I yes. think he, I think he shows deference to, to his veterans. And I think that that's great. I think a lot of those guys have earned it, but I also know that he owes it to the entire team Everyone and to himself else. to yeah yeah to give his team the best chance to to win, especially of a wild card series when there is absolutely no margin for error. So my guess is that he said that to try and boost Arenola's confidence to help help him not feel like he's living on borrowed time because I do think Arenola is going to make a start in the playoffs if the Phillies advance past the wild card round, he's getting a game somewhere. Now, I don't know if that's game two or game three or game four, but the fact is Aaron Nola has an 8.56 ERA over his last three starts. He failed to make it through the fifth inning for the third straight start in the series against uh, in the series against the Cardinals. Uh, this was after retiring 21 of 22 uh, Cardinals in the start at Citizens Bank Park. I mean, it's the same team. I get it that it's, you know, no two starts are the same. You're playing, you're pitching someplace else, buddy, but up, but up. But how do you go from 21 out of 22 to not being able to get out of the fifth inning against the same team about a week and a half apart? It's just, it's just kind of silly, but that's Aaron Nola. And so if you're Rob Thompson, I don't see how you can explain it to your players well, maybe he that, just whips out Baseball America, says this guy's got the third best <laughs> control. control in the National League. What are you What are you not trusting here? Fellas, look, this is what the nerds are saying. we got to start him in game two. I wouldn't even think about starting him on the road. Like, no. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. Yeah, I don't know. But that's I mean, what I'm what, saying. In a five-game series, I'd hide, him, I'd hide him in that second game, assuming you won the first. Because I yeah. feel like you've, ar you've already gotten away with it there. So you might as well just act like this was all part of the plan and and just start him in game two. That, I yeah. think, logically makes a little sense. But, you, you know, you're, you might not start the postseason in that situation. So in that case, with even more on the line and the intensity so concentrated in a three-game set, I'm even more – like, my heart's beating faster just thinking about seeing Nola's opening graphic and seeing all his bat, all the other teams' batting averages against him because they're probably going to be high. I'm looking at his game logs for this year. John mentioned that he couldn't get out of the fifth in his last three starts. Two starts before that, two strong seven-inning starts. One of them was a one-hitter. Before that, couldn't go out of the – couldn't get out of the sixth inning in only one of his oh – no, he could, he could get out of the – 
he could make it to the sixth inning in only one of his previous four starts. Before that, another twin pair of pretty good starts. I mean, this guy, like watching this team, is like trying to land a hot air balloon. And it just keeps yanking you off the ground and dragging you across the hillside. And by the time the playoffs get here, I don't know. I just I reach that point where it's decision-making time, and you're just like, do we either understand that everything we've seen to this point is real and just know that we are actively increasing the likelihood of disaster by having this guy make a start? Or... Do you just go, it's the postseason, we got to throw whatever hamburger meat is around into this grinder, and you know somebody's got to pitch these innings, maybe Nola finds it, who knows. Like, I, I could see either way being the case. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the reason, and I just, I looked this up while you were talking, because I was curious. People often I, do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> if the Phillies get into a divisional round series... And they got to play games one and two on the road. Like you're saying, if they get if they win game one, you, do you start Nolan in game two to try and now that you've stolen game one? His away ERA this year is 5.58. At home, his ERA is 3.44. So based on that, I'm probably using him in game three in a, in a five-game series. And I'm probably doing the same thing. Like if, if it's a championship series, I'm probably getting him as many starts at home as I can because he's been utterly abysmal on the road mm -hmm. and I, I feel like he's probably more comfortable at home even though we've seen him have his blow-ups in home games but a 3.44 ERA it's funny he's only started 13 games at home and 17 games on the road it's interesting how that's worked out so um, I'm guessing that if it's me if I'm Rob Thompson in a five-game series I'm probably starting him in game three now the question here is what about a wild card series let's just say that the Phillies and whoever, whatever team they face each other, they split the first two games. And it's 1-1. It's game three. And they're all at home. It's going to be at Citizens Bank Park. And you've let's say you've used Ranger Suarez in game two. So you've got Zach Wheeler, Ranger Suarez. Now your choice is Aaron Nola, Taiwan Walker, or Christopher Sanchez in game three for it to, to move on to the next round. Do you go with a young lefty Chris Sanchez who has pitched... I mean, just obviously better than Aranola since being called up and has continued to have great success. Or do you go with the guy who won you games in that round a year ago and, like you said, can twirl like a two-hit shutout at any at any point? I'm starting Nola, and I'm, I'm uh, having Christopher Sanchez fresh from the first pitch. Yep. And the I second think that's he allows right a base runner, Sanchez is in that game. I, I mean, yes. You, I mean, honestly, ideally, you want Sanchez to just start. Why have Nola start if you want if you want Sanchez just standing by, like the moment anything gets crazy, like that? Because I don't think Sanchez has the stamina to to be used in the number of situations I will want to use him. So I'm trying <laughs> to. Fair. Yeah, I'm trying to spare his arm uh, mm -hmm. by throwing Aaron Nola at the other team, just chucking him <laughs> into the dugout <laughs> for a couple innings. And while they untangle that mess, Christopher Sanchez can get warm. So here's now, an interesting way to... I, I just have to mention this now that I've thought of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think... Do you guys believe that Aaron Nola's future with the Phillies is really going to be decided in the playoffs? Do you think that? Hmm. I think like, like the deciding, you know, if it goes well, if it goes badly, kind of sets the tenor for whatever talks they will or will not have. I think that's an 
Yeah. What has Digestive. already happened has certainly impacted where the Phillies want to go with Aranola. I I fully believe they did intend to bring him back, even though they didn't work a deal out in the preseason. Uh, I think they were they were at least planning to bring him back. Like they weren't just going to sit out. Uh, I I think uh, I I think this was probably worse than they even imagined well, it yeah. being. That his his love he has reached new depths of inconsistency, to put it kindly. Uh, so I think what has already transpired is going to be the is going to have the greatest impact on what they do or don't offer him. I think the postseason could be his saving grace because if he did wind up making a couple like really clutch important starts and putting some really like doing some of his best best pitching of the season and works himself into like folklore status then they're going to have a tough time watching him go just cuz he'll have the support of the fans that he didn't have all season long. I think public opinion would would turn because that would be the last thing that would be the last memories people had of Aaron Nola were him doing that. So people are quick to forgive if you can perform in the postseason. Nick Castellanos had a terrible 2022, and I made a, a passing reference to that this season, and I was quickly reminded of the three crucial catches he made in the postseason, which are all anybody wants to remember about his year last year, which used to be defined by it being a total letdown. Uh, but in Nola's case, I think his contract is, yeah, they, they already they probably already know the general ballpark of the figure they want to offer him, and I don't think the postseason... I think they know what they feel like they need to know. Yeah, I will say this, Liz, to answer to also kind of piggyback on on what Justin is saying here. I I think he's hurt his value. I don't think if he was looking for a two hundred million dollar contract, which there had been some articles written early in the season or in the off season, where if you look at some of his numbers, they compare favorably to guys like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Certain metrics that a lot of these teams look at, where you could have conceivably made an argument that he could be a 180 to 200 million dollar pitcher i think that's i think that's not a chance of that happening now um my question is does he get a taiwan walker contract does he get something that's a little bit bigger than a taiwan walker contract that's probably something the money i think the his season here has brought his dollar figure and years probably closer to where the Phillies would want it to be but i don't even know that it's so much about that i think you're right i think it's more of a uh John Middleton is going to make the decision on whether on who he wants to pay. Now he lets Dave Dombrowski, you know, make the baseball calls. But I, you just wonder how does what is John Middleton's opinion of Arenola right now? Because he's a fan, you know, he's he's for better or worse with John Middleton. Like he he's a fan and he kind of listens to fan opinion. And unless Arenola balls out here in the playoffs and has some huge starts and is an integral part of getting this team back to the World Series. And even if that happens, I don't know how the fan base will respond to a multi-year contract for Aaron Nola at this point. Like, he's done a lot. Nola has done a lot of damage with his cred with Phillies fans. Like, Phillies fans just want to be done with him. And I don't even know if he has good play, if he has a good playoff run. I don't even know if that's going to be enough for, for Phillies fans to, to embrace him. I guess it's going to have to depend just exactly what it looks like. But... It's a good question because I do think there's that's what just how how influential is John Middleton in, in any kind of Aaron Nola contract discussion? And if he is influential, then how much does the fan base need to get on board in order for Middleton to kind of push Dombrowski or to say to Dombrowski, yeah, bring him back. Here's here's what I'm willing to do. It's it's an interesting question. I don't know. Yeah, I'm um, thinking about it and thinking out. I think. I think Thompson might actually hold a lot of 
he might hold Nola's future in his hands somewhat. Because if he's looking for a way to get back with the Phillies at a number that he finds more palatable, a good playoff run is his only way of doing it. And I think yeah. Rob Thompson is going to choose whether he has to put, whether he can trust Aaron Nolan, put him in a place to succeed, or whether he knows he can't and he puts him somewhere where he could do the least amount of damage. And I guess if the Phillies get to a seven-game series, I guess Taiwan Walker is your number four because if you're saying you're going to use Chris Sanchez as kind of like the piggyback to Aaron Nola, like if Aaron Nola gets into trouble, they're bringing Chris Sanchez in. It leaves Taiwan Walker and his 727 ERA over his last three starts as your as your game four starter. That's why they went out and got him this offseason, was because they didn't have a reliable game four starter last year. They went with the cinder pen for for all those different uh, game fours. I guess it was game five in the World Series because of the rainout last year. And that's not what they wanted to do. They, they didn't want to run that back again this year, so they brought Walker on board to try and fix that. And he's just been very, very up and down this year, more down than up. And so um, they have some... Time to settle this out a little bit. They're not going to need all four starters until they get to a league championship series. But that being said, you don't feel great about where the starting staff is right now outside of Zach Wheeler and and Ranger Suarez. And it's kind of a not a fun position to be in at the moment. Let's talk very quickly about the wild card because entering play here on Monday, the Phillies were three up on the Diamondbacks uh, with the Diamondbacks being idle and the Phillies winning. The Phillies now three and a half up on the D-backs for that top wild card spot. They're four up on the teams in third place right now. Um, none of these, it's funny, like these these teams behind the Phillies, they've been just as up and down as as, as the Phillies have. They've all, got, they've all got some pretty big... Um, strikes against them but they've also got they they also have some aspects of them that can get pretty scary in a short series so who who would you least want to play right now justin if you had to get let's say the phillies win the top wild card which i think is far the most likely scenario who would you least want to see come into citizens bank park in that wild card round to have to win two out of three i'll tell you what i'm not scared of any of these teams I think they have all found different ways to stumble and face plan over the past few weeks. I was a little, I, my, my answer would have been much more quick and it would have been the Cubs not that long ago, but they've lost what eight to 10 or something. Yeah. Like they, they have, yep. they have fallen flat and they looked like utter trash against the diamondbacks who, by the way, are probably going to by default be my answer because when only one of these teams has managed to like thrive at once during this uh, during the second half. The Phillies kind of climbed into the top spot, and I've been you know kicking down ladders uh, as as they've appeared, and then everybody else has been kind of caught in this blender. And you really saw the Giants fall away. I don't even really. I just look right past them at this point. Um, the Reds looked really hot and fell away. The Marlins looked really dominant. And again, you know, I think they're perhaps tapping into a reservoir of offense that wasn't there with the performances of Josh Bell and uh, the other guy, Jake Berger, and Ugh, getting Jorge yeah. Soler back. You know, they're, they're really seeing some immediate results for having the three of those guys in their lineup, and that's that's cool. And, I, again, I think they benefited from playing a, a Braves team that was taking a couple nights off. Uh, but that being said, none of them really have showed a lot of staying power. I think they probably have different – different levels of the same issues that the Phillies have. You know, this is why they're they're not winning their divisions and they're all fighting for a wild card spot. And that's really been on display here in the second half. The the Cubs were really the outlier to me, but they have they have fallen away. So now I I guess I'd say the Diamondbacks because they've been looking really sharp lately. 
Yeah, and the thing the Diamondbacks have going for them is they've got Zach Allen, who can start game one, and he can match Zach Wheeler pitch for pitch. And then Merrill Kelly has been real good for them, 3-4-5 ERA. I mean, they don't have a whole lot after that, but their top two starters are pretty damn good. Um, they do not have a great bullpen. They do not have an established closer, so that's that's something that you would like if you're if you're a Phillies fan and the but the offense is you know there's not a lot of power in that offense but uh Corbin Carroll of course uh you've got Christian Walker, Cattell Marte, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. they've all hit at least 23 home runs or more but not a lot of power outside of that so there's definitely again some positives and negatives with that with that Diamondbacks team the it's really those top two starters that I think would give you the most pause. They could go into Citizens Bank Park and you could easily see Zach Galen and Merrill Kelly uh, pitching really well uh, against the Phillies. And that would be kind of a, that could be a tough draw. Liz, um, which team um, would you least want to face right now? I'm kind of with Justin. I, I looked at all the possibilities and didn't see one that really frightened me all that much. Like it just like Justin, it was the Cubs for me. Uh, but not only did they get annihilated this weekend, the Phillies have a 5-1 and one record against them this season. Mm-hmm. And beyond mm-hmm. that, the Phillies are straight up, without even looking at any statistics, a better team. Not, like, just they are. The names on paper alone without statistics, just as a list. They're better mm-hmm. than all of those other teams. I, I, I think they could beat them at any point. Yeah, like the only team of those you. teams that they have a losing record against is Miami. They're six and seven against them this season. And so, and I'm still not even that scared of them. <laughs> yeah, the, actually, and it's also um, the Marlins and the Giants hold tiebreakers over the Phillies uh, because they have, they, they won the season series against the Phillies. The Phillies hold tiebreakers over the Reds, Cubs, and Diamondbacks. So if it's the if it's the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, the Phillies, whatever the lead is right now, I think I said it was a three and a half against uh, the Diamondbacks. It's actually more like four and a half, simply because they they own the tiebreaker uh, for the top wild card spot. Same same with the Cubs. Um, the Cubs had a ninety two point four percent chance to make the playoffs back on September sixth. They've gone two and eight since then. Their their odds now sit at forty six point five percent. So they took quite a hit there uh, over these last uh, <laughs> over these last ten games uh, against against the Diamondbacks. I would say I think for me it's the Marlins, and I know that sounds stupid, but the Marlins are playing maybe probably the best out of any of these teams right now. Um, they've played the Phillies really tough. They have won twelve of their last seventeen. They were really impressive against the Braves uh, over the weekend. Now we're gonna get a, we're gonna see exactly whether or not the Braves are in a malaise, and whether the Marlins beating them up during the course of the weekend was more Atlanta than Miami. I suspect it may be more Atlanta than Miami being really effective, but they have a good rotation. Jesus Lazardo is really good. Yuri Perez, Braxton Garrett, both really good. Um, Garrett has a 2.36 ERA in his last nine starts. Now, those are all young guys. You get them in a playoff game against Zach Wheeler and Ranger Suarez and Maybe it's Aaron Nola. Who knows? The Phillies are the Phillies are the favorites. So the clear favorites, no matter who they play in the in the wild card round. But if you're asking me which team scares me the most, which team I could more easily see coming into Philadelphia and taking two out of three, it's a team that has done it this year. It's the Marlins, and you know their their lineup after getting like you said Jake Berger, Josh Bell, they've combined for 17 home runs since joining the club uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, Berger's got an 893 OPS. Jorge Soler is is uh, back. He has 36 home runs this season. So that's the team that probably worries me the most right now. 
And when I say worry, I'm not worried. I think the Phillies would be the clear favorites to win that series. But it's probably the team I would least want to see right now because, you know, maybe that's maybe I still have that Marlins series fresh in my mind and that's kind of what's clouding it a little bit here. But um, I would not be afraid to see the Giants come into Philadelphia, even though the Giants have a winning record against them. I'd be terrified of going to San Francisco because that place is just hell on earth for the Phillies whenever they go play there. But if you're asking me in Citizens Bank Park, I would rather play and the Marlins are the team I would least want to play right now. So hard to disagree with that. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. It's like you said, the, the Phillies are going to be favorites no matter who they play here, but uh, lots of time for that all to work itself out. All right, let's uh, wrap this baby up here and um, finish things up on episode number 720 of hitting season with some final thoughts. Uh, Liz, you got any final thoughts to share? Um, it, it was the news was quote unquote broken today by uh, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times that the Tampa Bay Rays are approaching a new stadium deal with the city of Tampa. No, with the city of St. Petersburg, which is where their stadium is currently located. Does that make any sense? Because the current stadium that they're in, uh, everyone hates because it's domed and no one can get to it. The new stadium will also happen to be domed and near the current stadium. Does that make sense? No, they're still doing it. Just mentioning this because I say a silent little thank you to the powers that be every day that the Phillies are happily ensconced in Citizens Bank Park and are not dealing with any of this crap. Yeah, it's kind of funny to think about. Like, Citizens Bank Park was 2004. It's coming up on its 20th anniversary. 20 years. I mean, you think about it, like 1991 was the 20th anniversary of the vet. And I remember being at the vet in 1991 and it was a hole in the ground. Even then it was it was decrepit and it was falling apart. Citizens Bank Park is still as beautiful and well-maintained yeah. as it was the day it opened, which is just, it's it's pretty amazing what they what they did have done with that ballpark. Like John, the, John Middleton isn't, there's not, they're not struggling with attendance. They're not struggling with merchandise. They're not struggling with sponsorships. There's no reason for them to move Anytime. And I think fans would put up a fuss because the stadium has been the home to the best memories of the last almost 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they would no, no one would want that. And I'm just I'm just thrilled every day that the Phillies are not any of those teams. Yep. Yeah. Tampa, what are you doing? Stop. Stop what you're doing. Uh, Justin, final thoughts. Two things. One, uh, since the name of the show is Hitting Season, I'd feel remiss if we didn't mention Charlie Manuel has suffered a stroke, is out of intensive yes. care. It was reported yes, by thank you. various media outlets. He's apparently up and reading all the messages he's been sent, watching TV, texting, talking, and um, watching the Phillies. So that was great news to see uh, after, after that. Uh, and the other thing was I got an email uh, we're going to talk about. I got an I email from, from my new friend, Matt, who Matt... <laughs> Matt and anybody, if you find something out there while you're reading, researching, or just looking at old Phillies stuff, uh, and you feel like, hmm, this is this is noteworthy, go ahead and drop me a line, <laughs> like Matt did. Uh, who Positive wrote or he negative, bit, noteworthy. <laughs> he was a big. Well, that's yeah. You know, it really, it's we could decide that. You know, it's it's that's we're why researchers, <laughs> arbiters of history. You know, uh, well. He mentioned uh, he's a big fan of the pods and all my work. Uh, while playing the Immaculate Grid today and digging deep into my true sicko Philly's brain, I chose Wendell McGee for one of the squares and found right. something found something out <laughs> that I feel like you would truly appreciate. 
Did you know that post his illustrious playing career, Wendell <laughs> McGee Jr. became a, quote, author? Well, here you go. <laughs> and I clicked this link, and um, <laughs> I looked at this book, and what Matt, Matt describes as, well, I'm not truly sure what the hell is going on, uh, but he says, I, I believe Wendell McGee created his own religion. Uh, some of the key words and oh terms used in this book, uh, he, he Googled them to see if they were like from something or a universal term of any kind. He said the only results that came back were from this book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he said Make he went to words. went to old Wendell McGee Jr.'s Instagram page, found um, a level of commentary that aligned with uh, what his book would have you believe. And uh, yeah, thought thought it was just worth sharing with me, and and folks, it was, it was worth sharing with me. <laughs> Learn a little bit more about these guys every day. <laughs> yes, you'd like um, to know more? Look it up because we're not going to talk about it more. <laughs> Sometimes no, I'd like to know less, but then I learn a little more, and I, I prefer that. Someday I'll sad. tell you guys about Terry Mulholland's rowdy biker bar he owns <laughs> or owned at one point out in Arizona. Yes, that's that is a story too. To a topic of conversation. That is a story too. We have to get him on the podcast. See if we can get old Terry Mulholland to pick up a phone and yeah, and, he'd love that. Yeah, I'd love sure he would. He's a big yeah, podcast guy. I'll bet. Experience for everyone. Yeah. Definitely going to want to do that here on the podcast. All right. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Hidden Season. And uh, don't forget, folks, about our Hidden Season Patreon. Patreon.com slash Hidden Season. Uh, that's where you get absolutely hammered and the dirty inning over there. And uh, don't forget our Hidden Se- Season landing page over at Billy Penn. It's BillyPenn.com slash Hidden Season. That's where you can find all of our stuff. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hidden Season. Hidden Season.